Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Human Centipod, the real one and only Human Centipod, not the cheap imitations. With me today, as usual, I have my good friend Fred. Hello. Very interesting guest today. We've brought Rosie Gibson into the loop. And Rosie is a <laughs> film critic, a cinephile, genre expert, just like us, and a fellow scholar. I'm very grateful. You, we, we are grateful for having you. <laughs> Halloween has just been and passed, and I would like to just throw something at you guys and see what you say, because I have a bit of a conflict with Halloween. As far as getting naked and sacrificing kittens or virgins and celebrating Samhain and all that, I'm all there. But I do have an issue when people come up to me and say, oh, you must love this time of the year. You know, you get to dress up and watch horror films and blah, 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 blah. And it just annoys me because I've never been into cosplay. I just happen to always wear black. And as far as entertainment goes, you could say that it's always Halloween for me because I predominantly watch horror-themed films. And the skeleton zombies and other horror paraphernalia that are always present in my house is always there because, you know, it's just what comes with watching horror films. So for me, Halloween isn't a special event where it's so special and I get to be myself. I'm always myself. What do you guys think about stuff like that? What do you think about Halloween in general? Well, I, I, I never, ever celebrated Halloween. I, I, you know, I'm a... I would say I'm a, you know, a conservative Swede there. You know, I don't really <laughs> understand what it is. Well, I, of course, I understand what it is. I, I know what it is. But I'm, I'm with you here, Jason, because I'm, I'm watching horror movies all the time. You know, for me, uh, October uh, uh, isn't just uh, the horror month of the year. It's every month I'm watching these movies. Mm. I'm, you know, I, and I've never been really into cosplay, you know, either except my striped shirt so i look like some pretentious frenchman of course that i'm oh. wearing nowadays but but uh, that's about it uh, but then again i don't mind if people celebrate halloween i mean it looks like a lot of fun but you know i will sit bitter in my corner just watching it having fun you know <laughs> um so i i don't know i mean it Okay, it kind of sets the negative tone of this episode here. But yeah, that's my, that's my view on it. What about you, Rosie? Well, I have to say this with the dancing naked and sacrificing kittens. I mean, I'm all, you know, doing that 24-7. <laughs> that's not really it. But I do love Halloween. It's one of my favorite holidays. And I love this dressing up and the whimsical, the campiness of it, the macabre uh it's so um i will and i have enjoyed watching it evolve in sweden because i mean i grew up here but i've always been to uh, english schools mm. and uh you know when i was a kid it was just us celebrating nobody understood what we were doing and my dad has this story about trying to find a pumpkin in stockholm mm. in the 80s mm. and you know people said well you know use a turnip and now <laughs> it's just everywhere and i really love it i i um no, I, I enjoy it always, and uh, chance to get dressed up and sweets and horror movies is just brilliant. Oh, good. Good. Good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that leads me to, I mean, by the way, uh, just a side thought, I think that the original uh, jack-o'-lanterns were turnips, weren't they? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. still. <laughs> so, so, so they weren't that far off when they said get a turnip. I've seen some horrifying, horrifying turnips, in, you know, from like Ireland or something, where they carve faces in turnips and they look like, you know, and they they shrink and they get really disturbing. Some ancient tradition or anything. So yeah, turnips is nothing wrong with that. No, of... we might have started something here, a new wave of. But I do enjoy a huge pumpkin. I mean, that's <laughs> nothing compares for really. it. <laughs> or the Halloween carrot. That would be something. You know, there's so much to explore in this. Yeah, that's good. You could do a, you could, you could carve an Elmer from a Hen and Lutter's brain damage. <laughs> yes, yes, great idea. Can't made for it. Yeah, you should do it. Do well, it. Well, I'm getting really inspired now. We should have a cooking pod instead. Yeah. The vegan Halloween vegetable pod. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Good idea. Yeah. Big success. I mean, I mean it, it, it also, in a kind of a way, I don't know, it must be something in my 
working class gravel for breakfast up a bringing you know there's something about the commercialization of halloween that disturbs me as well you know everybody has to buy costumes and stupid amount of sweets and all of the merchandise you know all shops have got like plastic skeletons out of scale by the way i might add i mean who wants a miniature fucking skeleton i mean if i want to buy a skeleton i want to buy a full-size skeleton you know what's the point otherwise well, look at my tiny skeleton let's just see you know, and everything's whipped up into like kind of this hysterical must-have Halloween editions, and it's like, ugh. it's not really no, what Halloween I mean, was about. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but still, I do think. I mean, there seems to be some sort of human need for these holidays, and I think, you know, horror is one of the nicer things you can focus on. Mm. So, you know, if, if you have to have a commercial holiday, I think Halloween's the best option. <laughs> Well, what about this then? What if we, what if we institute it in like a, a national holiday like Midsummer, when you have to dance around the Midsummer song and sing all these silly songs? Would it progress to that kind of a thing where it would be like you know all of a sudden everybody's gathering at Skansen and dancing naked around a fire at Skansen? <laughs> I would love that. that would be quite yeah, awesome. me too. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting kind of like Wicker Man ideas in my head now. But I always have Wicker Man ideas in my head. <laughs> you got Lassa Berry Hogg and stood in the middle going, oh, while everybody's dancing around this giant bonfire. <laughs> it's time to keep your appointment. <laughs> oh, now, uh, there's so many people to burn out there, if I can be a little bit. Oh, well, some of them deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, then, moving on. Often podcasts praise and discuss all the stuff that they love and that they can't get enough of as do we but what i want to do here today in this post halloween episode is uh, stick with the fire and burning and ashes theme uh, i would like to do the opposite of what we'd normally do i would like us to talk about stuff that we really do not like does anybody want to grab at that <laughs> oh no <laughs> I'm, I, I, I won't say I'm famous, but I'm famous for basically loving and liking all movies, you know. Or, yeah, or... I have the same, uh, I, I'm <laughs> the same. So, Jason, yeah. you better go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do like a lot, and I do appreciate a hell of a lot of stuff, even if it's stuff that I don't like. But there is one director and mm -hmm. one director's films that just rubbed me the wrong way so profoundly, and it is Michael Haneke. <laughs> Win! <laughs> uh, but why? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, I just cannot stand Michael Haneke. I mean, here you have this Austrian director who's made a dozen flicks. You know, they're all arty, they're all highbrow, and most of them are using trash, exploitation, and horror influences. The cannibalizing lowbrow cinema, more or less, and presenting them in a nice little repackage as, as art. And it just annoys me so much. And I usually do not criticize something without have doing my research. So so I actually have seen quite a lot of his stuff so that I'm not like, you know, oh, I don't like that. And it turns out that I love it because I've had that experience before with Ingmar Bergman where I did not like Ingmar Bergman. And I started watching Ingmar Bergman's films through a, a certain perspective and ended up finding out, wow, shit, I love this stuff. So I did that with Haneke's films as well to see, you know, is what people say is so great in there, can I find it? And it just did not resonate with me at all. So, no. I think it's just something about the way that he presents himself. You know, he sits there with his, like, his, you know, his, his Santa Claus beard and his white hair and his... Polar neck. Yeah, his turtleneck and you know, his <laughs> black jacket. And it's just, it's just, there's no, there's no vent at all anywhere for like irony or, or, or sarcasm or humor or anything. It's just like, mm. it's mm. so serious and it's so pretentious. And it's just, it just, it just, I mean, that gets under my skin more than any horror film does. I just cannot mm. stand it. It just, it, I just, it just mm. turns my stomach inside out. Is it any any of his movies in particular? Particular you really, 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 really dislike? <laughs> I mean, they are better and they are worse, and there is uh, more hate and less hate for certain of his films. I mean, it, the the first time it came on my radar was in the nineties with a film called Benny's Video, and it was about a young guy who who 
has his video, own video camera and starts making video films and it, it, the short version is he ends up you know killing a friend on camera so he makes his own snuff film and it just became so hyped and obviously he was like playing with horror film tropes but nobody ever mentions it it's like oh look what master hanukkah has done it's like this brilliant expose <laughs> of uh, blah 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 you know get the fucking razor blades out <laughs> <laughs> i think he did a film with that <laughs> <laughs> he probably yeah, did <laughs> he probably did i don't i mean it, it's it's just i think it's more the persona of him that comes with his films that you know that taint mm. the films because i mean like i said i have seen quite a lot of them and some of them are, are, are all right he made a film called funny games twice he made like a, a an austrian german version then he made a, a hollywood version with nicole kidman and somebody else i can't remember oh yeah yeah is it nicole naomi kidman? watts no. naomi watts naomi watts yeah well, it's the same yeah. person isn't it no <laughs> it's not. I, could you? I mean, have you ever seen them? Have you ever seen them in the same picture? <laughs> now, come on, I've done my research. But anyway, they're both robots, so never mind. <laughs> oh, no, come on! I like them both. Now, but now, actually, now I'm getting upset again. Okay. <laughs> but that just goes to show how fucking bland uh, Funny Games Hanukkah is. Because I was, I'm, you know, I'm seeing that, and the thing that's in my mind when I talk about that movie, uh, that film, is a uh, Hirschenberger's invasion which is like also a really really bland invasion of the body snatchers copy and that has nicole kidman in the lead role oh so you're judging her because of one movie i just <laughs> I, I mean i judge people super easy <laughs> i mean i mean she, she did eyes wide shut i think that kind of you know i love you know, nicole kidman i mean yeah, if, if your big debut feature is a bmx movie you can't be going wrong <laughs> <laughs> i do love that movie <laughs> yeah. yeah it's excellent uh, the BMX movie, yeah, it's yeah. awesome. It's really good. But I mean, I, I would never blame you on Naomi Watts or, or Nicole Kidman for, for being in a bad film. I mean, that's what they do for a livelihood. They have to. But it, maybe, you know, if the, the story and the direction isn't top-notch, it's the director's fault. Uh, and perhaps this, um, when mainstream directors, I'm, I'm, I am going to call it mainstream director, but if they take the tropes of exploitation and horror, and for me, one of the things I love about exploitation and horror is the humor and the satire. Yeah. And if you remove this and make it unapproachable and package it, and this is maybe what people mistake for, you know, a good, a good exactly, exactly. And that's perhaps a little bit boring. Yeah. And that's what I have against, hold against Hanukkah, perhaps. But don't you think he, he shows some kind of self-reflectiveness? Is that the word, in a way? But uh, in his movie, what's the name? Cash? Where you have this pretense... Oh, hidden, hidden, uh, hidden, um, uh, hidden, what's it? Oh, cashier. Yeah, cashier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he have this uh, pretentious... Uh, uh, culture personality who gets uh, drawn into this uh, lost highway ripoff, basically. Mm -hmm. Because when I think of Haneke, it's it's basically that movie that pops out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I I never I, I I must admit I never had any any wish to rewatch. Uh, um, uh, oh, what's the what's what's the name again? <laughs> I forgot it. You know the 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 movie he did twice. Uh, you mentioned it. Funny like, games. Oh, funny games. Yeah, yeah funny or, games, or not yeah. so funny games. I know, uh, but that one kind of, you know, I kind of like it, you know, I, I must admit that. So, yeah, I will. I, but, you know, I'll step back and be bitter here and listen to you. <laughs> okay. I do. But I think, like I said, you know, it's, it's, I mean, what, what annoys me about it is like, I mean, the films could be what they are, but it's just the pretentiousness of the mm, creator mm. that, you know, it just, mm. it just bugs me. Because, I mean, mm. even if you enjoy that film or those films or all of his films, you know, it's just the fact that he sat there wanking his beard and like, yes, I am so great and nobody else understands this but me. Because, I mean, along the line of his... Oh, hang on, just a minute, before I go, let me stop myself. You nailed it perfectly when you said Lost Highway ripoff. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing, you know, it's nothing original about it. And I think that's what annoys me with his films. They are not original. They are often like high-end versions and inspired by stuff that's already been done and that's what gets to me because it becomes like 
as long along the way as films go, he becomes more and more praised, he wins more and more awards, he becomes more and more renowned, and it becomes like a cult of himself. And you know, you do not criticize Haneke for Haneke mm. is art. Mm. You know, it ends up being a bit like Hollebeck, I can't stand either, who it's like mm. the the author and poet and yada yada yada. But I mean a lot of his stuff is like, you know, just obscenities and racism and mm. misogynism and Islamophobia mm. and blah 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 blah. Mm. And you know, it's all about, you know, going to Thailand and shagging children and you know, it's just it's mm. and people just applaud it because it's like it's mm. It's like a, 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 a fucked up integralista seal of approval, you know, otherwise would be labelled pulp, trash, pornography. Mm. I, uh, I am going to uh, come out of the closet as the worst film critic ever. I'm going to get back to that later. But I have to say the only film of his I enjoyed was The Pianist. But when I rewatched it... It's just yeah. pornography tropes. Well, exactly. That's why I liked. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> but, the but when I when I really forced myself to think about it, it's just because I like Isabelle Huppert and the mm. music. Yeah. It's not the film. So, you know, if I scratch the surface a bit, that's it. Yep. I mean, I, I do not ban people for. Liking Hanukkah films, I mean, certainly Thank I've you. seen a fair fair amount of them. To say that you know, I mean, on a low level, entertaining, yes, but it's just that it's him as a persona that bugs me. So I would, you know, it's probably more Michael Hanukkah than Michael Hanukkah's films, but it does it does mm. wash off onto the way I perceive his films. I mm. mean, when you take a person like Pasolini or Barryman or, or Fontrier, you know, they're all troubled personas. But they're always flirting with the lowbrow, highbrow stuff. Mm. You know, there's a reason why Von Trier brings Urukirin or Gitnerby, you know, because they've got like a an exploitation, underground, cheap B-movie heritage mm. that comes with them. And he knows of mm. it, and that's why he uses them in their art films, mm. in his art films. And, you know, and Berg went to some extent as well. You know, he, he'd use horror tropes and he'd use them in his films and then, you know, you'd actually see him giggling about it because it became... Bergman uses horror and it becomes like the, the trait of Swedish uh, melancholy and uh, anxiety and all of that. But with Haneke, I just don't feel like it's there. I don't think I've ever seen, you know, like him reflect on something with a twinkle in his eye in the same way as you see no. Von Trier or, or Bergman. And then if you put it into the other boat, you know, if you put it like randomly just throw one of our favourite horror, cult or exploitation filmmakers at us and say that if they'd made funny games, mm. it would just be slaughtered. People would say it was like the worst film they've ever seen, the most boring movie mm. ever made. Mm. But one does not criticise Haneke for it is mm. art. Mm. And I think that's what gets to me. Then again, I've got mm. you know, like a, the largest chip on my shoulder about, you know, highbrow, lowbrow cinema and all of that, always fighting against, you know, always fighting for the the the, the, the justice of, of low-grade cinema. Yeah, yeah I, I hear you, Jason. I, I, I do, I do. But I still kind of like uh, Cachet. So. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You I... can remake it in Sweden, the snubber yeah. Cachet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eyebrow, lowbrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing interesting about him. There's nothing interesting about him as a, as a person. Mm. You know, I mean, we could talk for hours about Ed Wood and his, you know, his, his, his gender play, or you can talk about Bergman and his anxiety and how he expressed it, and, you know, Von Trier and all his flirting with dangerous stuff, like with, you know, mm. his misogyny and his racial blurts that he had in Cannes, got him banned, uh, just goes to show. Uh, or uh, Almovador. Exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah. Uh, who truly loves his genre movies and y uses actors, he uses themes, you know, yeah. it's, uh, but he acknowledges them. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I no, mean, but, sorry, Rosico. No, no, you, but, but I think the unforgivable thing about Haneke is this lack of the twinkle in his eyes because all these directors, the other directors you mentioned, do mm. have this humoristic approach to what their taking from you know low bro and i just think doing it with a sort of stern expression on his face is just no 
that's what puts me off the whole thing. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's like looking at a shark. You know, it's just looking at the black dead eyes of a shark. <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned Almodova, Fred, and uh, no, I think he might be the one who acknowledges it the most. Uh, his, his genre heritage, especially in the beginning of uh, Matadors of Love, which starts with Antonio Banderas, a young Antonio Banderas, uh, having a, a solid wank to the murder scenes of uh, Jess Franco's the Bloody, Bloody Moon. Moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic scene. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Fantastic movies, also. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, does anybody else want to bring anything to the table there on the annoying things? Uh, well, well, I, I, okay, I, you know, I've been thinking hard on this the last couple of days, and like I, I said before, I, 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 I love and like so, so much. You know, I can see a really bad movie, and I see something that I like, and I will, you know, say it's a masterpiece on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm very easily manipulated like that. But okay, I, I, I really would like to bring up two things. The first thing. It feels like one of those silly hot takes on social media, and I hate hot takes. You know, like you say something to provoke people, something that other people's love, and you you want to be, you know, this fancy twat that dislikes it. What, you mean okay. like the, you hate Michael Haneke? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but I, I think, yeah, yeah. Okay, I say it here. Tim Burton. Mm. Oh, I was <laughs> It's yours, but okay, we could have a. But the, yes. <laughs> well, the know, great minds think alike, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, there is Tim Burton movies that I truly love. I I love Edward, even if I know it's a very romanticized version of Edward's life, and I really adore Mars Attacks. I think Sleepy Hollow is quite cool, also, mm. but. That's about it, to be honest. After Sleepy Hollow, he went so deep down in its own, in his own asshole of funny curls and <laughs> quirky characters and what the fuck not, you know? CGI, CGI, yeah, CGI. Uh, green screen, everything mm. is flat. Mm. He uses what's her name, Helena Bonham Carter, in everything. Mm. Nothing wrong with her, but in those mm. movies. Actually, she's really, really bad in those movies. Mm. Uh, he kind of, he uh, kind of, he kind of, um, <laughs> I'm trying to find a word here, you know. Well, I, he I, fell down the Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole, really, and I was yeah. quite shocked. I read up about, because I saw that film at the press screening, and I thought, you know, just, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then but, I read, no, I read yesterday that even the costumes in Alice in Wonderland is CGI. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> just... <laughs> unbelievable so it started to make sense you know that it's got this eerie wonkiness to it that just doesn't sit right so. I, I didn't know that but it, it doesn't surprise me at all i mean mm -hmm. tim burton's biggest mistake is he fell for the tim burton uh, persona yeah. you know yeah. realized that i'm tim burton that's why i'm gonna do tim burton movies. sorry hang on a second mm. The, somebody is really screeching and scratching and it's going straight into the microphone sounds. Yeah. Oh, I'm feeling very guilty at the moment. It's all right. It's a newbie mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you have to sit perfectly still. <laughs> so right, I, mean, behave. I think the biggest mistake Tim Burton did was that he fell for the Tim Burton persona. Mm. You know, he, he realized that I am Tim Burton, so I need to do Tim Burton movies. Mm. And he became terribly, terribly lazy. I mean, Michael Bay does higher art than Tim mm. Burton. <laughs> I have, I have nothing, nothing against Michael Bay because he knows what he's doing. You know, his, Tim Burton is just boring. Mm. Um, so maybe I'm unfair. Obviously, Rosie agrees with me here. So no, but I think I would have to agree with you, Fred. Uh, Tim Burton. I think your analysis of Tim Burton, you know, just becoming Tim Burton, is actually kind of spot on. I don't know if it's so much laziness. It might be laziness, but it also could be. You know, it's almost if like he's being too service-minded. He's doing Tim Burton because people want Tim Burton, and he just can't get out of it. It's you know, it's it's weird. It's like Fulci getting stuck in doing horror films. And I mean, obviously, we do not know at all what Tim Burton thinks or what, what Lucio Fulci thought, and we definitely do not know what Michael Haneke thinks. But 
It could be, you know, like Fulci just got stuck in that rut and he couldn't get out of it. He just kept making horror films and because he was Fulci, he had to make horror films. So he kept making horror films and horror films and not necessarily really perhaps wanting to make horror films. I mean, my analysis of, of Fulci is that he didn't really want to make horror films. And I mean, even though he loved the genre, he wanted to, you know, wanted again to try other stuff. Because if you look at his career, you know, there's a lot of different approaches to, to, to film and genres in there. And I think that towards the end, when he breaks off from uh, who, was his, who was his big producer, De Angelis, his films like take a dip and he tries different genres and it doesn't really work out. And then he tries to do other stuff. And then he does these quite abysmal films at the end of his career, which I read more as like thrillers with a Fulci flair to them. And they don't really work as horror films because people want to be horror films. I think, I mean, I think his best movies from his the latter part of his career is his non-horror movies. Mm. I mean, I love Conquest, mm. Vaseline and all. You know, I think it's, a, <laughs> so much fun. you know, it feels more creative in that way and wild. And then you have the new Gladiators, which I think is criminally underrated. I think it's oh, yeah. one of the best uh, 80s Italian sci-fi movies. And then he did, what's the movie where, where he... he, he uh, Pleasures of Woman with a saxophone. Uh, uh, Devil's Honey. Uh, yeah, Devil's Honey, which mm. I think is pretty slick, cool Italian erotic thriller. You know, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to say that. Absolutely, you know, I back you 100 on that. But you know, being branded as a horror filmmaker, people want horror, and that's perhaps why these films aren't as appreciated as, as they definitely should be. And I think that's the problem that Tim Burton ended up getting into. He got into a, a loop where everybody wants Tim Burton, and if you look at his career where he does the first step away from being Tim Burton is, uh, I could be wrong on this, but I'll say it anyhow, the first step away from being Tim Burton is Planet of the Apes, which failed miserably. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, so then he had to go back over, and that's where he does, right, what do I do best? I do Tim Burton best. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, 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 well, if I uh, can interject, I just have to state a clause first that I do absolutely not judge anyone on their film taste. And uh, I am the worst film critic that's ever existed because <laughs> I do like the very bad films. Uh, the last film I reviewed was Annihilation. <laughs> and I remember everyone saying, oh, it's, it's, it's narratively bankrupt and this and that, and it doesn't follow the novel. And my review was just, it's the giant CGI bear in it. And I love it. Five stars <laughs> out of five. So that's sort of my take. So my issue with Tim Burton is maybe that, you know, he's, for my generation, I was born in the early 80s. He's maybe the first auteur we had, the whole concept of the auteur he embodied. Mm. I think, I mean, I understand this, that if you have a film career that spans over 30 years, you have to evolve somehow. Mm. You can't make the same thing. I mean, I understand that. And also that, you know, he's victim of his own success. But I think perhaps it's just this morning of the death of our first author. I, I can't explain it, but... Mm. And this commercialization that I realise is a natural progress yeah. for someone who's had a career that long, but still... And I think maybe he's also a victim of this, that horror films, the horror tropes is something that has become mainstream i mean he's not quirky anymore the stuff yeah. he does yeah. it's mainstream yeah now true. it's true. seeped into the whole uh you know the young adult and mainstream films mm. and you know so i don't blame him for what he's doing but i just don't want to watch it i have absolutely no interest in i i don't get excited it used to be a thing you know a new tim burton thing yeah film and now it's just Nah, I'd rather not, because yeah. they're so dead somehow. I mean, even even his Batman films, you know, have a, a certain Burton-esque mm, quirkiness mm. to them. Mm. Well, so. I, actually, I mean, I, I, I really dig Batman Returns. Mm, me too. Yeah, yeah, that's here. definitely the yeah. best of them. Yeah. Definitely. And like, like, and like when, when they came out in the early 90s, I mean, people were, I think, quite shocked at, you know, the violence and the gruesomeness. <laughs> but now it's it it would be absolutely nothing. Oh yeah. You know, so how does he how would he adapt to this? Mm. 
naturally. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a filmmaker who's fallen off my radar along the way, just for the reasons mm. we, we're mentioning here. You know, it, it just mm. became so meh. Mm. If they only let him made his Superman movie with Nicolas Cage, <laughs> that would have saved him. I'm serious. It's, <laughs> you know, if, I'm sure that if that one was made when it was about to be made, I, I would say mm -hmm. it's the best Superman movie ever. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it could have been absolutely fantastic. Coolest, at least. But, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that's how it is. Oh, yeah. Some Rage Cage Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah. But actually, that's it's what you said there, Rosie. I mean, just on a side note, uh, first of all, Rosie, I do not think that you ever should call yourself the worst film critic ever because film and film criticism is all about, at least in, in my chapter of that, is that film and film criticism is all about, you know, the experiences. And when you say, wow, yes. it's got a giant computer bear in it, I mean, that would have made me go and watch the film. Yes. Instead, instead of somebody, you know, putting up like, a long analysis of blah 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 mm, blah blah. Mm. I, mean, I know that we're in the Anthropocene. I know that we're destroying the planet. I don't need to know that. I mean, tell me what I, you know, get me into this film. Mm. Just go with it. So we definitely not agree with the, you know, with you saying that you're the worst film critic ever. No, I just found in the end that because any film. I mean, I'm like Fred. I think I like most films, and I think a film perhaps like Birdemic. Mm. <laughs> it's more interesting than other films because it got made you know the yeah. whole just just this thing that it got made uh and i tend to get completely bowled over mm. by stuff i see and not doing criticism anymore allows me to you know really immerse myself in the experience without having to think yeah why just that I just love this CGI bar yeah. and <laughs> I don't have to explain it. To yeah. no, but I think the, the key word there is immersion because that's what cinema is all about, you know, the, the immersion. Exactly. And, and if you do not like CGI bears, you do not want to watch that film. If you do exactly. not like Antonio Banderas having a, a wank to old Italian horror films, you don't need to watch Matadors of Love. But, mm. you, you know, it's, it's it, that simple. If you do not like Michael Haneke's pretentious drivel, you don't watch it. But at the mm. same time, I, I do because, you know, I want to immerse myself into that and get some kind of experience away from it. And everybody's experience mm. is always going to be different. So I would say that's at the key of, of mm. any kind of film criticism or, or, or film interest. I think, to be honest, I don't like Michael Haneke because he makes me cringe, <laughs> which is exactly... <laughs> what I think he's after. So I feel very sort of played. Mm. <laughs> very cringy films. Yeah. And I mean, I'm definitely in the same boat as you guys. You know, I, 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 I like everything in mm. one way or another. If we just shift on a bit, uh, another thing that I find a bit disturbing, and it's also kind of paradoxical because at the same time I like it, but one thing I've been thinking about the last couple of days is the randomness of horror franchises mm. and why can't we get a string of films in a franchise that all tie together and hang together and not just through you know like the killer or the curse or the whatever i mean i would like to demand a franchise built especially now when they're rebooting everything, you know, I, I, I would like to demand a reboot of whatever, because everybody's going to want a different spin at this. But I would like like a, a, a reboot of a franchise where it's all tied together, like the Marvel universe, you know, where it's all plotted out. Because I've been re-watching the, the Marvel films. The, when we talk about Marvel films, it's the same thing. Yeah, you know, the, the Marvel films aren't just these three phases that have been going through now for the last 10, 15 years, because we all know that they made a hell of a lot of Marvel films a long time before Marvel became the hot thing. But then there weren't really the good Marvel films, there were the bad Marvel films, the ones that we like a lot better, like Man-Thing and uh, what's the Nicolas Cage one, Ghost Rider, just to get Nicolas Cage in there. <laughs> oh, I love Ghost Rider. Okay. It's scraping at the door! <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I just have to. <laughs> you have to. We love song bites. I can't understand why you know why they can't just you know because the way they must have plotted these Marvel films out. I mean, it's absolutely amazing because there's there's so much stuff in them and there's so much Easter eggs and reference 
forward and backwards and to characters who were like in one scene three films ago who turn up in two films forward. It's so intelligently just all mapped together for this, you know, this, this three-phase run of 20 movies. I would love to see that done in a horror franchise. I would say there is one horror franchise that does that. Phantasm. It's stuck to its mythology, more or less the same actors, you know, right through you know yeah. okay it's confusing and makes no sense suddenly but it, it's it's uh, a it, there is a there is a, a common trait of all the movies at least you know i think they fits together in yeah, that case yeah, yeah. but yeah I, yeah but i can agree on the other franchises i do uh even if i like them a lot um, anyway you know but uh phantasma yeah i would say you know there you have one. That's a very, that's a very good observation, actually, because that is that is really, really back to back and all ties together. And the reason that this, made, I mean, what what made me think about this was, you know, because the, the, they announced a couple of days ago that there's a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, reboot, re whatever in the, in the works, and it's gonna it's gonna pick up straight after the first one and yada yada, yada which has been done already in the version that you like so much, Fred. Well, I love, I like all of them, to be honest. I, I, I remember I, I caused some, some ruckus when saying that I, I, I feel that Texas Chainsaw 3D is one of the best. <laughs> they do some, some backstory there, I remember. And yeah. then you have this other one by the French guys, but uh, yeah. I don't mind. Because the, the French, the French one is the one that I think got me thinking about this. Because I understand that they have to, re, you know, renew themselves and bring new things to the table. But it always feels like they're trying to pull a fast one on us. You know, they're always trying to pull the rug at the wrong moment. And I know it's a bad example. I mean, Texas Chainsaw as a franchise has never tried to keep any kind of real chronology, anyhow. But and a bit of a spoiler warning: if nobody's seen it, but I guess everybody's seen it. But the the last one, the one that the the French guys did, the way that it builds up the character that you believe is going to be. You know, it's going to finally be Leatherface in the last act, and then in the last act, they just kill him, and then it's mm. young, it's his young scrawny brother. So basically, what they're saying is that you know the hitchhiker is actually Leatherface, if you try to put it into a context, mm-hmm. and it just feels like silly. It's kind of a, a shitty move to pull on an audience in a, in a franchise, and then it happens all the time. And I know that you know we get these kind of moves all the time, but at the same time, when they try and bring chronology and keep things plotted out together or tie it into the original sources like uh, Tony Cliff's Hellraiser Judgment for instance I mean what he did was he tried to go back and say right well what if we didn't have the other films what, what how could I tie this back into the Hellraiser world and you know nobody got it and he just got absolutely slaughtered for it which is a pity because it's, it's quite a decent film yeah, it is. It's cheap as hell, but it's, 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 I mean, it's an original Hellraiser movie. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Any thoughts on that, Rosie? Would you like to see more continuity, a well-plotted continuity? Well, I just watched Jaws 5 again. <laughs> 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 and I have to say, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it's my the, the vote is out on this one. <laughs> <laughs> and we... uh, with Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm I'm biased. You know anything that's got Dennis Hopper in it, so I'm a two head. <laughs> <laughs> coked up Dennis Hopper. Yes. It's even better, actually. So. Yes. And a nice little a nice little chainsaw montage. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, somebody should do a spoof of that. You know, where he's like grinding away and they come back, and it's like he's he could have carved Beautiful. like a little cute a cute animal or something. <laughs> I mean, with that said, then do do we need it? Do we need continuity? Is it necessary? I, I, I don't think it's necessary, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm really looking forward to Halloween Kills and Halloween mm. End. Oh yes, because yes. they, you know, they do something very ambitious with it. Mm. I feel that way. I love the 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 first one. Oh, yeah. So absolutely, but ah, uh, uh, you know, it's. I kind of like when they take, uh, you know, uh, different turns, unusual turns, you know, if they, I mean, I, I, I don't mind non-logical uh, franchises, mm. um, you know, like um, Silent Night, Deadly Night, which just becomes bizarre and prom, the prom <laughs> night movies, which yeah. are mm. like, what the, what's, what's going on here? And mm. <laughs> uh, ah, I, I, I kind of dig it, you know, yeah. but yeah, absolutely. The Halloween movies, come on. Let's do them. Oh, yeah. So I should be focusing more on the immersion and experience than the <laughs> logic. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I might start watching. I, I might put me Paul on and watch a couple of Hanukkah films instead. 
Do you, do you, uh, can I, can I skip, oh, we want to continue the subject, but. Uh, Anything you want, we, friend, this is our I, show, I, do what you want. <laughs> it is? Yeah. Oh, awesome. It's like awesome. I said before, this is like the cassette tape version yeah. of everybody else's you know, professional podcast. So, you know, we do yeah. what we want to do. There is a subgenre of movies where I claim that there is basically no good movie ever made in. And that's submarine movies. Mm-hmm. Movies set in submarines. I mean, oh. for, <laughs> for, yes. <laughs> for, for me, it's just a bunch of guys in a cramped up space. They're screaming and drowning. They look out, there's water, and that's it. There's absolutely <laughs> no tension. And they're often Germans. But I mean, there's, there's nothing. You know, okay, l- l- hear me out here. Uh, airplane, on an airplane, you, you know, you can go out on the airplane. You can climb around on it. You can if you go out, you die. Building. Yeah, you can you can attach other planes to it. It's a very cool thing. Trains, amazing locations. Mm. You can do a fight scene on top of them. You can run through them. Uh, they're not dark. You can crash them from. You know, there's so much more to do. But the submarine is just water and a bunch of you know, really, really, really depressed persons inside. Mm. I. I I honestly, I, I can't stand them. I, I, I've been trying, but it just makes me feel very, very sad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, but, I mean, to be honest, the only two films I can think about is, of course, that's Bot, and then that one with Bon Jovi. <laughs> oh, yeah, what's it called? Below, underneath, something like that. Yeah, but Hunt for the Red October. I mean, Sean Connery as a Russian <laughs> it's always yeah. worth watching <laughs> I mean yeah I mean I would say the closest to a submarine movie I actually like is uh, Jean Picard Simon's uh, The Rift mm. uh, but it's because it has tons and tons of monsters and gore you know, exactly, and they, and, exactly. They, and they leave the submarine after half the movie anyway so yeah I, w- but, I was you know I guess I, I suddenly remember the Meg I quite enjoyed but <laughs> It was a tiny submarine that got eaten by an enormous <laughs> shark. So, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the shark yeah, very good. Everything's better with a shark. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, Hanukkah might have to put a shark mask on when he does his interviews. It could be, I mean, I would like that more. <laughs> exactly. I, I uh, revisited the, the Meg a couple of days ago, actually, and uh, I quite enjoy it too. Uh, I kind of wished it had gore. You know, yeah, it's kills. a bit bland, like that. yeah. But I also heard that the sequel will be R-rated. I mean, much it will mm-hmm. be much more gruesome because that was Jason Statham's wish. He signed on to an R-rated the Meg, and then the producer said, "No, we're going to do it like a kitty-friendly little movie." <laughs> and he was upset, and it became a success. And so now, what I understand, he will get a gorier, more adult, mm-hmm. so more like Piranha 3D. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> it's such a great movie. Uh, mm. Okay, okay. Now cool. we're going to talk about bad movies. Boring. <laughs> no, but that's, that's an interesting side note because that's I mean, if, if there's a bad subgenre, that's a bad subgenre. Yeah, sub submarine genre. <laughs> submarine uh, genre. It wasn't funny. No, it wasn't. Yeah, but yeah, okay. I I could I could probably bring up other things I I, I don't like, but you know who the fuck knows who's Colin Nutley is around the world, and <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know that's pointless. So I'll stick to submarines and Tim Burton. No, uh, I have to say uh, when Jason said we were going to discuss this, I had to have a really long think. I it was very difficult for me to think of anything I dislike. And the only thing I could come up with was the Sex and the City movies. And I feel this is perhaps not the right place to... <laughs> but well. just the, the only films that make me angry, you know, just their existence, just this rage. <laughs> I feel that perhaps the human centipod isn't the place to... <laughs> Well, well, this is a safe zone. You can say whatever you want here. Yes, yes, yes. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So, so why do you not like the Sex and the City films? Is it because of the this this place continuity between them? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and 
I mean, Michael Haneke probably doesn't like them, so, you know, I should like them, but... <laughs> well, you never know, he might have a Kim Cattrall fetish. <laughs> yes! <laughs> have. It would endear him to me, anyway. <laughs> no, but just this um, completely bankrupt horror. I-, I can't explain it, I'm sorry, but it's it's just... I just get angry now thinking about it, so... <laughs> I mean, again, it, like I said, at the end of the day, it's all right because it's you know it's all about personal what you take away from the films, and everybody watches a film differently. And if you want to like Michael Haneke, fine. It's just that that's my go-to guy when it gets to annoyance. Mm. So you know, every everything goes. <laughs> but if we just bring this to an end, this episode, it's been fantastic. It's been really, really fun. If we leave with one good thing, then, to balance out all the evening. And if one of you bastards says Michael Haneke films, you're out. (laughs) (laughs) I promise I won't. (laughs) So share with us one good thing so everybody's got, you know, so we can cleanse ourselves from this hateful, angry episode and go into, you know, go into the weekend or week or whatever November brings us with something good, a good recommendation. Okay, as as you know, I'm at least Jason knows that I'm slightly, slightly mad, slightly, you know, a little bit. There's mm-hmm. something going on in my brain, but uh, I really, really want to recommend the documentary, The Phenomenon, The Phenomenon by James Fox. Uh, it's a new documentary on the UFO phenomenon uh, that was released to great success a couple of weeks ago. And he's been going back to uh, a number of classic UFO cases and some new ones. And he kind of just cut away all the rumors and uh, legends and just went back to the original reports, the original witnesses, the, you know, it's Hmm. such a nice way of doing it. Hmm. And if if I had like an 80% belief of UFOs before this documentary, I probably now have a 99% belief of UFOs. Or I, I'm not saying UFOs is aliens. I'm just saying there's something up there and it's flying around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's an incredibly well-made documentary and it's also very serious. It never goes into silly territory or new age stuff. It's very, mm-hmm. very basic and grounded in facts. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I absolutely loved it. And I'm, 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 I, I don't want to be a, a preacher, but, you know, this is something you should watch this year. <laughs> this, this crazy year, you should watch this uh, movie, The, the oh, cool. Phenomenon. Because we have predicted that that's going to be the next step of 2020. Yeah. Oh, why of, not? Yeah, I mean, we, 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 I mean, the, I mean, we have the, the, the famous videos, the, the Pentagon acknowledged, yeah. uh, for example, not saying once again that it's aliens, but there is something. They mm. don't know what it is, or at least they say. So, yeah, that's, that's how it is, Jason mm. and Rosie. I'm a, I'm a believer. The phenomenon. Cool. I'm not a believer. I'm a... Hopeful. Hopeful, yes. Yes, yes. Hopeful. No, very good. Hmm. No, I haven't been to the cinema for ages, you know, because obvious reasons. (laughs) So I find myself indulging in watching films that I gravitate towards naturally. And this past month, it's been um, 90s action films. (laughs) Cool. And I've just immersed myself, you know, under siege, daylight, oh. Sylvester Stallone. And it's so relaxing. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I Sounds fantastic. <laughs> so I haven't watched a drama or anything for ages. And I just, and with this algorithm, algorithms, uh, on my streaming sites, they just keep coming more and more of the same thing and it's just wonderful so i would like to tell everyone just watch whatever you feel like (laughs) it is so relaxing (laughs) yeah that's that's excellent advice it's actually yeah that's so that's that's lovely yeah (laughs) Uh, i mean i i love that yeah and the 90s action it's it's so underrated i love oh yeah absolutely 
there there is some serious talent in it and it it's a little bit silly and it's cool and everyone has nice haircuts you know it's, <laughs> that's, that's that's all i ask from a film i mean really yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those three things <laughs> and, and one hit one the soundtracks <laughs> oh <yeah>. yes <laughs> <laughs> but to just go out and you know watch whatever you feel like don't don't care about anything else except what you want to watch and it will all work out fine yeah. and then the aliens will come for us yes. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like advice to live by yes right i think i'll close it all by giving a book recommendation actually uh I know, I know you read a lot fred uh, and yeah. <laughs> insane amount i don't know where you get the time but that's how it goes i actually ended up picking up the Dario argento biography it's called Fear, the biography, uh, which uh, Fab Press released uh, last year, 2019. And it was one of these things where, you know, I didn't really need uh, a, another book on Dario Argento, but I did pick it up and it literally just latched its claws into me and I haven't been able to put it down. It's it's a really, really fascinating read on Dario Argento. It's, it's really vulnerable and honest and it's just a really, really interesting read. So I would really, really recommend that. It was probably the best book I've bought in a long time. Cool, cool. I'm going to put it on my list directly here. So I've been aware I'm of it. To, I'm going to make you lend it to me instantly. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll do as soon as I'm done with it. I've got about a couple of pages left in the last chapter. And it really does go through all of his stuff as well. So it's a lot of fun details. Cool. Well, thank you ever so much, Rosie, for being on the show today. And thank you, Fred, for being on the show today. And thank, thank you, you Jason. It was my today. pleasure. <laughs> it was our pleasure to have you. We'll have to do this again. This is excellent. Please. And uh, to everybody listening, we'll just uh, keep listening, uh, stay safe, and be kind to each other. Goodbye. Cool. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.